Welcome back to Coming Up for Air with hosts Dominique Simone-Levine, Laurie McDougall, and Annie Highwater. This podcast is produced with love by the Allies in Recovery team in solidarity with our listeners. Come in and sit with us for conversations on the most pertinent topics for families navigating a loved one's addiction. We created this podcast along with the learning modules and discussion blog in support of you. We salute the work you are doing and your dedication to helping your loved one find a way through. And now, coming up for air. Annie often says Ohio is at the heart of it all, and today's episode proves her point even further. In this Coming Up for Air episode, host Annie Highwater puts Columbus, Ohio's Heartland Recovery High School on the map. As you tune in to her conversation with two key people from Heartland, Paige Stewart and Jennifer Bellamu, you'll learn more about this incredibly inspiring school where vulnerable teens are supported through individualized learning programs and recovery-oriented care. You'll hear about what the student experience is like and learn about the challenges these young people are facing. Most of us listening just wish our own high school had been this amazing and full of heart. Enjoy. Thank you so much for coming on um, and welcome both of you. So let's just get right to it. I circled this specialized education. If you want to just kind of start there, what I'm not sure exactly what specialized education means other than the fact that you're incorporating recovery. So one of you would like to take it away. Sure, I can start. Um, so just thank you for having us out. Um, and yeah, I mean, when I talk about, you know, Heartland and I share with whether it be community supporters, parents, you know, students, like what does a typical day look like at Heartland? Um, it's much different than what kids are used to. So when we say specialized, we mean individualized. Um, all of our kids are on an individualized learning plan. Um, so oftentimes we get questions, you know, how do you serve IEPs, 504 plans, different things like that. And I get really excited to share with people what we're doing here with regards to education. So first and foremost, we have really small class sizes. It's kind of the nature of recovery high schools is we like to stay small so we can serve our students, not just academically, but with regards to kind of like you said in my intro, mind, body, and soul. Um, we're offering a lot of different types of services here. Um, and we, we're education first and foremost, but we offer recovery supports to a lot of professional development and life skills. And so, for example, we had a summer program and we had kids attending the summer program that had already graduated from their high school wow. who didn't have those essential like independent living skills that they needed because they weren't taught in their curriculum. And so we are teaching those things because for me, our students aren't going to be successful when we launch them if they don't have those life skills as well. You know, anybody can learn how to take a test and different tricks and things right. like that. Um, but, you know, do they know how to open up a bank account? Um, do they know that that job, that it's not going to cut it because after deductions and taxes, how much comes out of their check and they can't pay for their apartment? So those are the types of things that we're helping kids with in our summer program. And specifically on Fridays, we spend a lot of time on that type of stuff. But during the week, um, you know, we look just like a typical school in the sense our kids are, you know, they, they go to class. Um, they work with the teacher. She's doing, you know, they do lectures and they have different topics and they're studying English and math and science. And, and um, but on top of that, we recognize and we understand that it's important to figure out what their interests are. And we incorporate that into our learning models, too. So if we have kids that like art, if we have kids that are interested in cars, you know, we go out into the community and we find mentors and opportunities and experiences where they can get out and do those things. And we try to find ways to get them credits for that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. They often hear me say, we want to double dip. Like we want to get them life experience right. and credit for school. Um, but we are, like you said, we give recognized diplomas by the state of Ohio. So we do have to meet all those requirements too, but we have a little bit more flexibility being a private school. So we can, we can include some really neat opportunities within our curriculum. So it's mm -hmm. like, is there health class and yeah. gym class? And mm -hmm. yep. we have a student that's taking gym right now, actually, mm -hmm. in the summer. And so it's kind of a neat, the curriculum's really neat. It's like a hybrid. I'm not that old, but I, <laughs> I still, we didn't have computers like that and do all this work on laptops. So nowadays, like things are kind of hybrid, like you have a teacher maybe lecturing like what I was used to, but then they have these breakout sessions where they're on their computers doing virtual learning. Um, and so he's able to do his gym class, most of it from home. Oh, and then he wow. comes in and logs all of his like his training that he did in 
the weight room or like or at home or what he did. Wow. Yeah, outside shooting hoops or I was gonna say yeah, they'll, they'll yoga. shoot hoops yeah. with Dr. Page and consider <laughs> yeah. Jim. Yeah. Do you find like with the sense of freedom as well as the individualized that there's more of a sense of commitment with oh, the students? Goodness. Yeah. And yeah. maybe mm-hmm. more enthusiasm. They're not kind of mm-hmm. unconsciously just going right. through the routine and well I think the the best thing about this is a lot of our kids you know, either haven't been in school. Like we have a kid who's 17. He hasn't been in school since eighth grade. And it's like, how motivated do you think that student's going to be? And so typically if he went to his public high school of origin, he'd have to take seven classes. Whereas we're like, no, we're not going to set him up to fail or get discouraged or get beat down. And so he's taking two classes right now and he's achieving goals. The curriculum's really neat because it adjusts to like their pace. And he's like, actually getting things done and accomplishing things, which is really exciting for him. And we're able to reset their tests if they're struggling and, you know, just retake this, right? Like we want you to do well. We want you to learn something. We're not here to, to, no, it's just to punish yes, you. And right. exactly. in my right. day, yes. you got paddled. <laughs> right, yeah, mine too. Yeah. Well, you can tell her what I always say, Jen. What do I always yeah, well, say? Yeah. yeah, so Dr. Page has said that she wants to have a grace based environment, not a fear based environment. That. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's. Yeah so important because that's what these kids are used to. These kids are used to punitive and they're used to getting in trouble for for having Mm -hmm. a disease. Right. I mean, imagine if you got... Or trauma. Right. Exactly. Imagine if you got... If you got detention or you got paddled or you got kicked out of school because you had diabetes. Right. You know, or, or you had a form of cancer or you had high blood pressure, you had celiacs, you know, you're not allowed to eat that, that, you're bad, that right. stuff, you're bad, we're going to kick you out of school, right. you know, it's, but, but people don't recognize addiction as, right. as mm-hmm. what it is. No, I was just talking to somebody about that yesterday. She was telling me her sister had gotten all sorts of trouble in high school and ended up becoming a teen mom. And um, her own mother had shunned her and shamed her and picked on her. And I said, the unfortunate part of that is when somebody comes from trauma, whether they venture into teen pregnancy, addiction, or all manner of things is that people think they're being bad and they're not acting bad. They're typically acting injured. Mm-hmm. And there's mm-hmm. quite a difference. You know, I'm really glad that you brought that up because I think there's two different perspectives when we hear hear these stories. Um, you know, we ha- might have the opportunity actually to serve a student who is pregnant. Oh, um, and you know, one one thing that I hear people saying is, oh gosh, like you're going to take on that liability. And yeah. it's like, no, my first response was not only do we get to serve this kid with regards to education and recovery supports, but now we get to help her out as a, like a single mom. And that I think is just And incredible. set this baby yeah. up for welcoming yeah. into right. not dysfunctioning chaos. And, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that changes future generations. So, so yeah, it's, it's helping to save lives. Right. right. Yeah. Plural. Yeah, the culture we're trying to create here is very, very different than what you're finding in the everyday right. school. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that it's been, especially, and I work with a lot of um, family members affected by addiction, and the parents struggle with feeling at fault, guilty, shamed. Everyone, you know, their peers' kids are often going to college, and they've got somebody in treatment or out in active use, and they feel so ashamed and embarrassed. And it's a matter of undoing that shame and that, mm-hmm. you know, feeling bad about the situation, which just puts more weight on it and isn't productive and kind of delays, you know, progress. Yeah. I think Jen does a really incredible job out in the community talking about the stigma of just mental health and substance use in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you want to share a little yeah, bit. About so, so, um, one of the things that, because I got clean and sober in a 12 step program that was anonymous Mm-hmm. And you know we didn't we didn't talk about it. It was like the the dirty little shameful secret. Don't embarrass your family. Don't let anybody know. And it worked. You know I'm still clean and sober. Twenty years later, I'm not saying that that doesn't work. But since I've been hired with Heartland, I've decided to recover out loud. Oh yeah. So you know there's there's a movie called Generation Found, and it's all about the recovery high schools and how they came about in the APGs, which is an alternative peer group. Um, and those are starting to sprout up. They're in in they're like a 12-step, but they're for young people. They're okay. peer-driven. Mm-hmm. And those same people that made that movie made one called The Anonymous People. Mm-hmm. And, and it's all about recovering out loud. Right. And so until we normalize addiction as much as, as right. until we normalize recovery right. of addiction, right. 
instead of normalizing all of the negatives that come with addiction, until we do that, the stigma is going to remain. So, you know, we want it to be where we hear lots of news stories about this person's got, you know, 10 years in recovery, and this person has five years in recovery, and this person has 30 years in recovery, and this is what they're doing. We want to hear those stories, not this mom was on heroin and left her baby or this dad sold his kid for crack or, you know, we don't want to hear all those stories because that just keeps the stigma going that, that, you know, if you have an addiction, you're a bad person. You're not a sick person. You know, I I heard many years ago when somebody told me in the 12 steps that I wasn't a bad person trying to get good. I was a sick person trying to get well. Right. And that was so freeing to me because for many years I thought I was a bad person. The, The courts told me I was bad. Probation told me I was bad. Teachers told me I was bad. Family told me I was bad. You know, you probably were telling yourself you're bad. I was bad more than anybody. Everybody that tape was is playing me bad. all the time, yeah. right? Yeah. And so it took years for me to realize that I was just sick. Yeah. And and we also know that that addiction is only a symptom of trauma. Mm-hmm. You know, and so we've got to we've got to get to like people are reacting to trauma. Right. And I was reacting. I had injured horrible mm-hmm. trial childhood trauma horrible childhood trauma. Mm -hmm. And and my addiction is a direct result of it. Right. Right. And one of my favorite psychologists often says that, you know, sometimes these schools are a breeding ground for depression and anxiety. And and I would, as (laughs) as a result of that, they're also a breeding ground for substance use because that's what these kids are using to cope with the depression, with the anxiety, or what Jen just said, with trauma. And so we have our work cut out for us mm-hmm. because not only are we trying to, like is Jen trying to educate the community on these things, but we have to start with our kids and our parents because they all think it's a behavioral issue too. Right. You know, they, they're looking at the behaviors they're not looking at the underlying vulnerabilities. Those are the vulnerabilities. Or what's are driving things, it. Yes. You kind of look at mm-hmm. like the fire and not what started it. Right. Yeah. Right. So you're always mm-hmm. going to put the fire out, but you're in a house mm-hmm. that's burning down. So yeah. you've got to treat mm-hmm. what's inside the house. Right. And it's, mm-hmm. it's so difficult too, because those vulnerabilities are what's unseen right. and it's what's unspoken. It's what's under the surface or what's happened. And we are all trained to just look at problem behaviors. Yeah. Right. And so very often, you know, that's why it's not gotten better. Yeah. We focus on that. We focus on the consequences. Sometimes we focus on the prompting event of what caused the behavior, but we all respond so differently to events in our Mm -hmm. lives. And it's because of the vulnerabilities we all have. And that's like one thing that I am so excited to teach our kids and to teach our parents about is I don't care about the behavior. I want to understand the underlying vulnerability and the why, because it's impossible to change behavior. At least I personally think so without understanding the why and what right. causes it and prompts it. Because the root mm-hmm. will remain. I think yes, a lot yeah. of a misunderstanding people have is that they think compassion means lawless. If you show compassion and kindness, right. Right. that's giving a free reign. Like, you know, I, I remember I, I came up with the phrase smart love versus tough love. Because really tough love is just tougher on me. It doesn't mean chasing mm-hmm. my son down or calling my mom out constantly. It means doing what's loving them in different ways that are healthier. It doesn't mean sitting on the couch and not looking over to the right when things are being stolen or there's drug use going on. It doesn't mean that at all. So compassion can be put in place with wisdom. And I think that message is missed on people who don't have a hands-on experience mm-hmm. or practice with it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that's a great point because, you know, I, I can't imagine, I'm not a parent myself, but to to have a kid and have all that compassion and empathy for them, but to not have the wisdom and, like you said, right. the smart love behind it, you know, that's when we have to talk about boundaries mm-hmm. with parents. It's And that's always a tough, tough topic for us. You are listening to Coming Up for Air, sponsored in part by alliesinrecovery.net. Here is a testimonial from an Allies member. This is Allies in Recovery member G.P. Traveler. When I read posts like, she's back from rehab but on shaky ground, I feel hopeful for the plan I am working. And it all boils down to love for my loved one and myself. Let's return to the conversation you're listening to on Coming Up for Air, produced in partnership with alliesinrecovery.net. That's why parents need to recover too. Even if you have not had a chemical addiction, if you've loved somebody that has, you you have Mm -hmm. recovery work Mm -hmm. to do too. And And it can begin with just learning about 
the underlying causes of trauma mm-hmm. and addiction. So you've got work to do. So yeah. we all do. Well, that's going to be one of our, our requirements, too, of the parents is they have to attend mm-hmm. the parenting meetings that we will be having to educate them. Oh, that's yep. yep. And those are the things mm-hmm. that we're starting with, like, you know, talking about and what I was sharing earlier about these ideas of vulnerabilities and behaviors and prompting events. It's this little thing we like to call behavior chain. And so that's what we're going to teach the parents, this thing called behavior chain analysis. And we have to teach them things like the neurobiology of addiction to realize what's happening in the brain once addiction sets in and that gene is activated because there is an addiction in gene that people Mm -hmm. don't recognize. Um, Some people don't have that gene. And just like some people don't have a, you know, a gene for cancer. For liver cancer, right. they can smoke a pack of cigarettes every day for the rest of their life and not get, you know, lung cancer. Right. So, um, so we have to educate parents on these things to help them understand the disease of addiction, so they can explain it to other people. Yeah, I, I actually just posted a video of the Neurobiology 101 by Nicole Labor. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's so Huge good. Fan. Yes, it's a, it's yeah. like a 23 minute video on YouTube. Look it up, and when she talks about it not being a chemical issue as much as it's a dopamine issue, and mm-hmm. she breaks it down mm-hmm. in such simple terms so quick. I watched it a few times just to yes. get all of it. It's so good. even just having baseline knowledge like that can change somebody's entire perspective and the way they handle it. And I don't know if you remember this from that lecture, but uh, I love her point of, you know, the dopamine threshold. When we introduce substances into our brains and our bodies, that threshold rises. And there's typically what I've learned in my studies uh, and research is there's two things that get that threshold down a little bit quicker. And that's what we want to teach our kids here at Heartland so they can get their brain online and functioning. Mm -hmm. And those two things are peer support. Yes. Imagine that. Mm-hmm. So recovery school, check. And then also um, uh, like spirituality right. and things like meditation and prayer and and daily devotions or daily mm-hmm. reflections. Mm-hmm. And so we're doing all of those things here in the school. And, and so we're really, mm-hmm. we're really research driven um, and we're doing what's evidence-based and improving to be effective. Yeah, that yeah. I even watched, I watched a TED talk last year about epigenetics and how you mm-hmm. can undo the brain damage that cortisol does with mm-hmm. meditation and mm-hmm. yeah. those calming events and connection. And honestly, I'm a big fan of Dr. Drew. He always talks about how it's a brain disease and it's healed with other brains. You can't, it's impossible to heal it without connecting with other brains that are giving positive regard. You're not in an environment that's shaming or judging so that you don't have to grip against that and you can be completely honest because if you can't be honest, mm-hmm. you can't engage. Right. And you right. can't step forward. So um, that said, I do have some questions for you. Um, we are coming to an understanding that early experiences, which are adverse childhood experiences, infuse with our belief systems and can lead to um, thoughts of worthlessness, shame, feeling not good enough, which would be, you know, feeling not enough in general, not good enough, not stable enough, not wealthy, pretty, thin, not from a good family. You know, all those things that we tell ourselves when we're right. especially young. Those play a major part in mental and emotional health and lead to dysfunction, delinquency, recklessness, all kinds of things. Um, and it all begins with a thought process that gets derailed. My son has has been in recovery going into seven years now. And I remember I would always say to him, how do you have confidence problems? We build you up. We try to do everything. And he, he would tell me, no matter what you say to me, I can't get it till I get it, till I believe it. And I can certainly relate to that. Um, do you have an eye for that or a system in place for building up the thought processes processes, and the confidence of students? Yeah, I mean, I think the first step is just to do an assessment to see kind of where they're at. Um, right before you came in here, actually, I was sitting down with a student and we went over the ACE score. We went right. over, we were using some depression and anxiety scales. Um, you know, we wanted we want to do a lot of research with social and emotional measures here to make sure that the programming that we're doing and, you know, these things that we're about to talk about here that we're implementing are actually effective. You know, if those scores and ratings aren't improving, then we need to tweak something. We need to do something different. Um, So I'm really excited about that. My background is in clinical psychology, Mm -hmm. not in school administration. So I think it's kind of really the perfect fit for this program. Um, Because like you said in my bio, I want to take curriculum to a whole nother level and incorporate, you know, the mental health aspect into it. And 
Um, and so, you know, we're going to get a baseline assessment for where they're at. We're going to be using those measures throughout the year um, to track progress. And we are going to be doing a lot of continuing education here with our staff um, on how to best use practices that target these things. So for example, yesterday, um, one of our teachers and myself, we actually sat through a training on grit and resilience and oh, mindset. Wow. And so these are things that, you know, these words are out there right now. Um, there's been a lot of research, um, I think out in the media about growth mindset, resiliency and grit. And some of my favorite Stoicism researchers, yeah, that. yeah. Angela Duckworth has done a, a ton of great research. Um, and so we are taking those, you know, we've got those books on our bookshelf. Uh, we've already made up presentations that we're going to teach to the kids. Um, like these are things that we're already talking about in our vocabulary. Like they've probably heard me say growth mindset or fixed mindset <laughs> numerous times. And so we're excited to use this terminology and create that culture here um, so it becomes second nature to them. Um, something I often say is, you know, they're going into schools and in these programs right now and they're trying to teach self-confidence and they're trying to teach self-esteem and they're doing it the wrong way. The way that self-esteem and confidence is like cultivated with kids is when they have a team around them of support and accountability and mentorship that allows them to mess up and fail. And when they fail, they know they have a team in place and they can bounce right back. Oh, that's yeah. good. And they can be successful. Like so when you encounter hardships, when you when you do fail, this is just a learning experience because you know you have something to fall back. It's not all or nothing, yeah. you're bad. It's kind right. of like I was just reading about rupture and repair. Yes, when you yeah. learn that at home or in a mm -hmm. team environment, that makes you not so afraid mm -hmm. to fail yeah. mm -hmm. or not taking failure on as I'm ruined. Yeah, yeah. and mm -hmm. most kids fear failure, so they don't even try. Right. And yeah. so at Heartland here, it's going to be so wonderful because they're going to have a team of our staff, but also the people we're bringing in from the outside community with our mentorship programs. And every single day in the summer program, we had a guest speaker come in and talk like they are building their team. They're actively building their team. And what we talk about here is you have to have people on your team that are making it all about you. Yeah. If you have someone in your team that starts to make it about them or gets controlling or is giving you bad advice, fire them, get them <laughs> off your team, right? We want people on your team that are going to build you up and set you up for success and support you. And, and the big key is you got to diversify your team. So oftentimes when kids are little, the only person they have on their team are their parents, right? Mm -hmm. Which is great, but it's only one perspective, right? It's great and, if their parents are functional. Yes, that's true. Mm -hmm. And so what happens when kids start to get a little bit older and they're in middle school, they're in high school, their biggest influence is their peers, right? Mm -hmm. And typically your peers aren't the best people to have on your team, <laughs> especially when those are the only people on your team. Right. So we, we want to create an environment here where there's good peer support. You know, mm -hmm. we've got kids here, they're all pursuing education and recovery. Um, but also we want to diversify their team and have someone offer recovery support like Coach Jen, life skills and professional development like myself, our teacher who can help with educational supports, and then mentors and speakers from outside the community who are just pouring into these kids' lives while getting them connected with resources. They're going to be so confident yeah. because when something happens or they hit that pothole, like they're going to know how to change their tire or who to call. Yeah. And so that's what cultivates and creates confidence in kids, not a little PowerPoint on self-esteem. Right. And so we're, you know, a self-help, self-help brochure. Right. So we we're really excited to do this on a daily basis year round with students and this educational environment provides that space for them. Yeah. You know, when I was um, when I was in third grade, I had a teacher who recognized that I came from a family of distress and I wasn't well cared for. Mm -hmm. um, and I wrote about that in my first book. I was sent to school. We had taken in like a, a, a box of kittens and they had fleas. So I would go to school and they would be on me and I wasn't always tended to. And she recognized that. So she would set me apart and take me outside. And she would always say, you have the best vocabulary. I want you to describe nature. Mm -hmm. And she would have me pull away. And it was almost this practice of mindfulness. And I would write, it was her second year of teaching. Mm -hmm. She did that all year long. And then she would take my what I would write and read it to the class. And she would say, one day you're going to be published and I'm going to read everything you write. And I never forgot that. And she now comes to all of my book signings and book events. We stay yeah. in touch. And it was just that short span of time take, being taken out of the institutional feeling. Lights are too bright. Everything is structured. And I don't want to get in trouble environment. Mm -hmm. You know, just that short span of time made a difference in my life. Lifelong. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I can't imagine when you're marinating in that, what the success rate would be. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, some of these kids, unfortunately they're seniors. And so we're only going to have them for a year where I wish we could have them for the next four years. Um, but it's neat even after just four short weeks of summer programming, some of these students have already started to change the type of verbiage that they're using. And yeah. one of our students was dead set on going away to school. And now she's saying, maybe I need to stay closer to home. Maybe I need to stay involved at Heartland or go to, you know, Ohio State because they have collegiate recovery. Yeah. And because, yeah, now she's building supports here. She's starting to attend meetings. She just got a sponsor that's local. Like, you know, she's building her team. And yeah. and when you leave and move away, it's really hard to, to keep that, all that support. So um, I'm, I'm really excited specifically for that student, but all these students are going to eventually have that. But like Jen and I always say, um, the want to precedes the how to. So we can teach the how to here, but they, they have to come with, with the want to. This podcast is produced in partnership with Allies in Recovery. Join today and begin our self-guided e-learning program. From the comfort of your own home and at your own pace, you will learn how to shepherd your loved one toward treatment and long-term recovery. Our in-house experts, led by Dominique Simon Levine, also provide personalized guidance to members. Learn more at alliesinrecovery.net and join today. So what are they coming in like? Are they coming mm -hmm. in fresh out of use? Are they coming in freshly detoxed? Are they coming in from a treatment center? What, what they're, is they're their coming, They're coming in all different ways. Mm -hmm. We've gotten them from schools. We've gotten them from recovery court. We've gotten them from treatment. They're, they're coming in all different ways. They're coming in with a couple of days. They're coming in with months. They're coming in, you know, we're, we're meeting them where they're at, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah. This and is what I always say. I, I didn't, I didn't go to, to the 12 step meetings to get sober, I went to I went broken, and they helped me get sober. Yeah, like I wasn't already sober when I was attending them. I was actually going to the meetings under the influence, and they helped me get sober. Right. So we're we're meeting them wherever they are. So there's no like requirement in the door, and then it just starts mm -hmm. building momentum from there. What do you do? Do you have a process in place as far as relapse, or is there drug screening or things like that? There is mm -hmm. drug screening. Yeah, and and we do have. We do have, um, you know, it, it, it's it's all about intent. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if if a kid has completely given up and they're too far gone and we can't, they might need to take a break. Doesn't mean they're kicked out. We don't kick him. We don't kick them out. Right. Just means they may want to take a break and and mm -hmm. go and see if if recovery is what they want right now because we can't force somebody in recovery. There has to be a mustard seed of willingness. There right, has to be. Right, right. And so if they have that mustard seed of willingness, we'll work with them. But if they've just totally given up on themselves, I have one student, he renamed me Crazy Coach Jen because <laughs> he wasn't coming to school. And I, I went to his house and I was like, I know you want me to give up on you, but I won't. This kid, you know, wanted me to give up on him and I refused to give up on him. Yeah. And and I just showed up at his house and I talked to him and and... I, that mustard seed of willingness that he had, I was able to dig that out of him. That and, can bloom large. And he came to school, you know? <laughs> right. And and so that's that's what it takes. It takes somebody not, because that's what they're used to. Mm -hmm. They're used to parents that are exhausted, that have, have gone to the nines for them. They're, they're, they're used to teachers that are just sick of them. They're used to POs that just throw the book at them. That's what they're used to. And so, like Dr. Page said, we're, we're here to give them a different experience. Right. And we do. I mean, we, we had one student, you saw him leaving today. Mm -hmm. And just yesterday he was in here and he was so excited. He was like, I remember the first day I came to this school. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to like this. And now I love this school. This is like the best <laughs> school ever. You know, it's like there's peace here. When he and his mom yeah. were walking out, they passed me in the hallway. They both had the biggest smiles on their face. Yeah. That yeah. was what was noticeable because it's yeah. like when you start building momentum in, re in recovery and have that kindness, it starts to lift everything the world has kind of dressed you with. Absolutely. And that Absolutely. is a, that's a beautiful picture of peace. And you yeah. see that person emerge from all of that. Right. Right. I love that. Um, your recovery or your story as kind of what I call addiction adjacent, mm -hmm. which would be my own as I well. I like that. I'm going to steal yeah. that. <laughs> um, and I always ask people that haven't had a recovery story of their own, if you haven't had kind of, you know, your rear handed to you, a lot of times 
you don't really have that compassion factor. Mm -hmm. You know, if you just got kind of a clinical mindset, when you were first learning about addiction or when you first learned that you had friends that were maybe using, did you have that same compassion or did you see it as right and wrong, good or bad? And did that change over time? What's been your experience as far as the evolution of your perception? Yeah. um, So I'll, I'll just start off by saying I had a really ignorant view of what addiction was. And I think that's where a lot of people start because you know, it's, it takes a lot of education, I think, to learn about the neurobiology of addiction and what it's actually doing to the to the body, to the brain. Um, and so I kind of looked at it just like a behavioral issue because that's what I heard, right? You know, you hear all these slogans like just say no. And, and um, you know, I thought it was that behavioral issue. And so at the time we were in high school and, um, you know, I didn't have that addiction gene. And so I could mess around with, you know, alcohol and, you know, put it down for the next year. Like right. I'd never touch it again. Um, but with my best friend, it wasn't the case. And so it, it kind of started with, you know, alcohol, marijuana, um, just the party scene um, and got involved with a really bad guy who was using pills. And then he introduced her to heroin. And so it wasn't, gosh, it wasn't even our senior year and she was already using heroin. So, um, yeah, I, at that point, you know, I was probably her only friend that stuck around and stuck through the whole thing. And maybe it was just God's grace or who knows what. Um, but yeah, I, I've always kind of been that way. I just never want to give up on someone. Yeah. Um, and so with her, um, you know, we always stole that line from Grey's Anatomy. It's like, you're my person. And I was her person throughout all of it. And, you know, I went to some meetings with her. I absolutely you know, when I when I went to these open meetings, I, I noticed that there were not people there her age that she could relate to. And so she was a little bit turned off by that. And the people that were there her age were using together. So her pathway to recovery was a bit different than others. Um, and I'm so excited to share that, you know, she's been in recovery for years now. She's doing really well, has a fantastic job, a great boyfriend, her family and her have gone through so much and are, you know, to this day healing, but also in just doing wonderful. Um, so it's an amazing story, but when I was in college, um, like you shared in my bio, um, mm-hmm. I had a childhood best friend that passed away. And so for me at that point, it moved from like going to these open groups with her kind of being a little bit interested in learning more to being like, okay, I've got to figure this out. So at that point, like I changed my major, I was going to go study law or go be a nurse or do something. I'm like, nope, I'm going to go be a psychologist. I didn't even know what that meant at the time. (laughs) I just knew that, oh, they get to counsel people and what, you know, 18, 19 year old doesn't think they'd make a good counselor, right? (laughs) We all all know everything at that age. So um, I got really interested in like studying group work. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's amazing. The research shows, you know, people with a substance use disorder, they do better in groups right. than they do um, one-on-one. And it makes all the sense in the world why they do because of peer support and to sit across the table from someone who's you're able to identify right. with. Um, so yeah, changed my major, ended up like doing a lot of clinicals, went to grad school and got lots of clinical work with um, substance use populations, uh, got to help facilitate a tr- and run a treatment program. Um, and then I was like, yeah, this is it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my background was kind of in harm reduction treatment. And, you know, I got to see how that pathway got people back on track um, and how, you know, it, men and women were able to start working again. They were able to start providing for their families. They were able to show up at family events, you know. Right. And, and so that, that was, it was amazing to see, um, you know, the progress that was being made. And And then, um, yeah, that friend of mine that passed away in high school stayed really close with his mom. um, And she was the one that actually introduced me to one of our board members. And I found out about recovery high schools and no idea. And because we didn't have one in Ohio at the time. And so she shared they were going to open up. And I was up in Cleveland doing clinical work. And and I get a call a couple months later and they're like, hey, come down and check out the school and interview. And yeah, so that's kind of how it happened. And you know, I always felt like God's calling over my in my life was a, with the service profession. And, you know, if it wouldn't have been for my friend in high school and, you know, my friend passing away, like I could be walking a totally different path. Right. So um, I tell people all the time I have the best job in the world, you know, working with adolescents. They're cool. 
They're really cool. They really are cool. Yeah. Especially Don't tell the them I said recovery. that, but yeah. yeah, they're amazing. And I know yeah. you had said you, you had a recovery experience mm-hmm. as a teenager and didn't have like a no, super positive welcoming. No, not at so all. So if you could share that and how it's different here. Yeah. So I went to my first AA meeting at 15 and I remember sitting in a meeting and a guy told me that he spilled more beer on his tie than I drank. <laughs> and, and, you know, it just wasn't welcoming at all. Right. And, and, and my it's like, mom. go pay your dues, child. Yeah, right. yeah. And so <laughs> I, I was convinced I didn't think that I had a problem anyway. And for me, that was just a ticket, right. to ticket to go back out. And so, you know, I went back out and I was in the same school, same environment, same friends, same everything. Nothing changed. And we know if nothing changes, nothing changes. Mm-hmm. And, and I just got really, really, really sick. Yeah. I just kept getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And, you know, at 26 years old, I was facing a judge and he said, you can either get sober or you can serve these five years in Marysville prison that oh, I'm wow. going to put on the shelf. And so <laughs> I'll get sober. I was like, OK, <laughs> right. <laughs> I got sober. I like yeah. that you call it getting sick because we've come to call it. We don't really look at it as good or bad in the work I do. We look at it as healthy or unhealthy. So you just got really sick. You just got sick again. And even when it comes to relapse, I love to follow Instagram accounts of people that I know are in recovery and recovering out loud. And a couple of years ago, I watched this show I called The Hills. Um, and one of the guys on there had relapsed. And I loved on Instagram when he got back on his feet and did a post openly admitting it. All these people, they were well-known or just, you know, normal everyday people. All of them just pounded him with comments. Welcome back. You're doing so good. We're so glad to see you back on your feet. And it wasn't a system of shaming. It was a system of receiving you. So whether you're a newcomer or you've relapsed and come back in, those comments make the difference between life and death, I think, of of how you respond to somebody. I mean, I I do a lot of comparisons, but for people that are not don't have addiction or are not educated about addiction, I think this is the easiest way to compare. It would be like if you knew one of your friends was diabetic and they were insulin dependent and they were at a birthday party and they just wanted a piece of cake <laughs> and they ate that piece of cake and now they're going to, you know, they're going to suffer. Right. They're going to have to take extra insulin. You don't see a bunch of people going, oh my gosh. <laughs> Why would you do that? And, right. you know, right. calling them right. names and shaming them because they ate a piece of cake. I mean, they, they had a relapse. You know, right. they, that happens. And and so it's it's the same thing. I same mean, thing. The, those things happen to us. I feel very blessed and very fortunate that I have had the, the willingness to continue my sobriety. Mm-hmm. And I haven't put anything in me to change me from the neck up in 20 years. But it was a long time of... Clean, not clean, clean, not clean, clean, not clean. You know, 11 years of struggle before I could get to the point where I stayed stopped. Right, yeah. You know, and, and so it, it's a process. It is a process. And, it, and and I love the evidence base, but it is not, it's kind of nuanced to where it's mm-hmm. not one size fits all because it's a process of getting it, whether right. you're getting it to, to that beginning willingness or long-term willingness and everyone's getting it process is different. And for those who are the addiction adjacent, you know, family members or entourage of that person, we can become obsessed and consumed with forcing you to get it, right. shaming you, you know, calling out your behavior, chasing after right. you and all of those things. And it's really just a matter of waking up and some people wake up slowly and some people jump out of bed right away. So it's right. well, not one me, size fits all. For me, it was when I finally did get sober and stayed sober, I addressed my trauma. Because all those years before, I wasn't addressing my trauma. You got so, to the root, like Dr. Page said. You yeah. weren't just addressing was, those uh, outer layers. You you described it as a house on fire. Right. I describe it as a bandaid over a bullet wound. Yeah. If the right. bullet wound, if the bullet is still in the wound, and you just keep putting a bandaid on it, it is not going to heal. You got to yeah. rip that bandaid off and dig, dig that, that out. bullet out mm-hmm. and let it heal. Right. And so for me, that's what it was like. It was like I just kept trying to get clean, and. I still had the bullet in me. And so when I got sober again and I started to, I did EMDR and I did five okay, years so of good. therapy and, you know, went to a therapist and like, like found out all this trauma that had happened to me as a child that I hadn't dealt with. I was a right. direct result of that. And so I was able to sustain long-term sobriety once I got the bullet out. Right. And how perfect to be the one to engage students and ha- and be in place to where you can sense that nuance and kind Absolutely. of navigate around it. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. How perfect is that? I, I think you're She's a perfect fantastic. team, right? Yeah. Oh, we're an awesome team. I think we are. I mean, even our teacher, she's like amazing. I think we have the most awesome team. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, it's, there's definitely, definitely a sense, there's a sense of peace in here. Now a short pause for a word from our partner, Allies in Recovery. Is your loved one resistant to getting treatment? Are you hitting a wall when you try to communicate with them or offer them help? Is your own mental or physical health deteriorating? The CRAFT method, which we teach on our e-learning platform, was designed to address these very challenges. A membership with Allies in Recovery gives you unlimited access to a library of learning videos, ebooks, and worksheets, as well as in-house expert guidance tailored to your situation. Visit alliesinrecovery.net today. So I think you've already filled in how the days are kind of structured. Um, how do you incorporate recovery into the day? Is there mm-hmm. ter- certain times of the day or do, mm-hmm. is it as needed? No, we have we have a recovery, an actual, like I run a recovery group and it's earlier in the morning, you know, after they've done one of their academic blocks, um, we do a recovery. And so I open it up with either reading from a daily reflections or the NA, so you know, good. some, some, some type of 12-step recovery, we read from that. I give them the choice because we have many pathways. You know, yeah. we have smart recovery. We have NA, AA. Um, we even have a Native American pathway. Oh, we have good. a Buddhism pathway. You know, there's many different pathways. And I let them choose. I'm like, what do you guys want to read out of today? Mm-hmm. And so we'll we'll do that kind of thing. And then, and then we do some kind of group, you know, that and Dr. Page helps me to write the groups to, to something about, you know, about coping skills or or, or food and sleep or, you know, just something that, that they'll be able to take away and, and use for them. And, and we do through a lot of therapy through art. You know, oh, yeah. I, I use that mm-hmm. also. And, and they're allowed to, do, they can sit in a group and do art while we're talking. And they mm-hmm. love that. You know, they'll make lava bracelets or be drawing <laughs> or painting or doing something. How so. nice to sit in an environment where you feel liked. Yeah. And seen, yeah, you know, intended to and in the heard. midst of yeah, and in the midst of learning and recovering, what a right. perfect combination right. um, that is. And I know you said the classes are relatively small, but you're adding at this point. Can people call or email? And is it in the surrounding areas to bring students in? So we are a private school, so we can really admit anyone from Ohio. Oh, that's good. Is there a charge for that, or is there scholarships? So there are scholarships that are available. Um, since we are private, it's tuition-based. Um, however, we've got some generous like donors, and they do help with funding. And so, you know, we we try to meet parents like where they're at and establish, you know, what's what's the need here. Can they give um, and and work with them to right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, and then there's transportation, I believe, or do they have to find their own way in or live close? How does mm-hmm. that work? So with transportation, um, we're working with um, the Department of Education here in Ohio and the school districts um, on that. So we are really excited because that process went through really smoothly, becoming a school, um, submitting our application. It took a long time, but it went really well. That's good. And so they actually get to come out and visit during our first week of school. And once they come out to visit, then our parents and guardians get to work with the school districts. um, And they kind of have two different options. They can either bus the students here or they provide a transportation voucher. Um, most likely what's going to happen is they will provide transportation vouchers because the busing, sometimes it's difficult, um, right. you know, to bus one student 20 miles mm-hmm. is, and they can bus up to 30 miles. I think that's the rule here in, in the state of Ohio um, is it, it's difficult. So we're going to work with um, some companies that other private schools have used. Um, I think like TriStar is the name of one, and that's a popular one that's used um, to get our kids here. So um, there's been a lot of, you know, barriers initially when we started up, but like we've worked really, really hard to tackle all those barriers and just destroy them so kids can have access to making history with all of this. Absolutely. Um, Is there normal like what? Like, just out of curiosity, yeah. is there a normal structure for discipline if someone acts up or there's, say, a fist fight in the hallway or mm-hmm. anything like that? Well, uh, Coach Jen does Taekwondo. Because it was paddling in my day. Oh, yeah, she does Taekwondo, so. <laughs> <laughs> but I have been trained in de- de-escalation, so. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I've told <laughs> you, I did Kempo. I have my junior black belt See, Kempo. There you go. So yeah. they have to deal with that. <laughs> They'll be dealt with, right. <laughs> no, I mean, in our handbook, it talks about, you know, the school expectations mm-hmm. and guidelines and things like that. Like for me, 
Um, you know, I'm a big sports fan and I'll, I always take this one out of uh, Coach K's book and his famous basketball coach. I have to teach Jen about college sports. Yeah, sometimes. I don't know about you know, sports. <laughs> yeah, but I think one of his rules was great. And it's just like he had one rule and it's like, don't do anything to embarrass your family or your, your university. And that's kind of like how I've always operated. And so for us here, like, you know, the things that are going to get you in trouble is if you're using drugs in school, if you're selling and if you're making threats to hurt people, yeah, um, because we have to protect protect the students, right? Other than that, we can work with stuff. I mean, I these kids, you know, for the most part, all of them have a suspension on record. Some of them have been expelled from schools, and and a lot of the stuff that's on their records, I'm like, that's stuff we can easily work with, right? You know, and and I'm excited for that because you know, we've talked about this a lot is just that their little identities are developing. And when they get labeled as the bad kid, right, sometimes they act bad, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so if a kid brings a jewel to school, I'm just going to say, give it to me, you know, just hand it over. It's right. fine. I'm not going to suspend him for two weeks. I mean, that's crazy. I want him here. I want him learning. I want him around peer support. I want him in coach Jen's recovery group. I want him learning life skills. I don't want him sitting at home and smoking pot. Right? right. So, um, I mean, with regards to that, like, and like we say here, we got it up on the wall over there. Like we're promoting love, not legalism. When you love on yeah. a kid, typically it's, you're not going to have some of the same issues when we're grace-based and we're not fear-based. They don't have to, you know, a kid can be like, oh shoot, I brought in my jewel pen. Here it is. Yeah. Instead of I'm going to get caught with it. it. Right. right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And we have a get honest policy here, like with regards to any behavior and relapse. Um, you know, the, the longer they keep it inside, the more shame, the more guilt, mm-hmm. and then the less likely they are to talk about it where we're not really too interested in, you know, what substance did you use? What, right. what's going on? We want to understand the why behind the behavior or behind the relapse so we can help them not discipline. Um, so that's kind of our motto and our perspective on all of this is how can we help? Right. Yeah. yeah. Are you seeing certain substances or a, a, are you seeing like primarily marijuana? Or are you seeing opiates? It's kind of poly. Yeah, yeah, yeah it really is. Everything. I mean, yeah, yeah, I was talking to a student today and I was just like, you're like me, you're just a garden, you know? Mm-hmm. It's my, my... I like that better than garbage disposal because I've heard that for <laughs> No, I'm like combo. garden right. variety. I'm right. like, you know yeah. what? I, I liked anything if it was yours. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right. If it makes you feel different, right? Yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah. But a lot of marijuana use Um, And that's something, you know, that we as a school and staff and board have to talk about because the laws around marijuana are changing. And so, and I mean, even with like, you know, even little things like nicotine, like how do we talk to our students about nicotine use and caffeine and energy Mm -hmm. drinks and sugar? I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that we need to, to discuss and, um, but at least it's yeah. being discussed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. It is. Right. I, mean, I was. I had just done a post also um, about a week ago where I was talking about how I wish these conversations would have been had in my school or conversations about mental health or even, you know, when you were talking about life skills, how to deal with a breakup or a friendship breakup, right. which is traumatizing right. when you're that age because you think everything is right now, all or nothing, or maybe how to spot a narcissist, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. And that these conversations are being had. I mean, it's a, it's setting you up for success, yeah. especially at that young age. Yeah. This is Coming Up for Air. We're going to take a short break to share with you some words from an Allies in Recovery member. I'm a member of Allies in Recovery, and this site's been one of my best sources for support. I recommend it to all my family members that I encounter on this journey with our loved ones in addiction. I agree with Dominique that you are taking care of yourself when you share on this site. I originally began practicing uh, craft to help my son, but I found that it's helped me as much by learning to control my emotions so that the highs and the lows are less extreme and therefore less exhausting to me. Visit alliesinrecovery.net for more information about joining Now, back to the Coming Up for Air podcast. I know this is the first one in Ohio. Are there other states doing this model? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're not the first recovery high school. Um, There's around like 40 in operation. Um, 
So we, the closest one to us here in Columbus is in Indianapolis, Hope Academy. They've been around for probably 10 to 15 years. I think 16 years. 16 years. years. Okay, there you go. Wow. So 16 years. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's the success rate? Or do you know, like, Super how successful. great they're doing? <laughs> yeah, we, we got to visit it, at, wow. actually. Mm-hmm. And they're they're doing great. I think they average 60 students. Mm-hmm. And um, they are very successful. Mm-hmm. Extremely yeah. successful. And they're called Hope. How did you come up with Heartland? Well, we're in the heart of Columbus, you know, or in Ohio, we're right downtown Columbus. Um, Our board members are really intentional about the location they wanted to select so we could serve, you know, greater Columbus. Um, And we're on a bus line so we can serve people who maybe don't have that type of transportation. Um, And... You know, I, are you familiar with Dreamland? Yeah, I always he was on my that. podcast. Was he? So oh, it's really, really, yeah. really informative. So he, named after a pool. And, yes, oh, yeah, oh, it's so good. Oh yeah, my parents used to swim at that pool back Did they in the really? day. Wow. Yep, yep. So, I mean, Ohio has so many roots, like you said, so yeah. many first. And um, the dugout mm-hmm. that my son was actually staying, like, kind of sleeping in, was in, in mm-hmm. a parking lot that had paved over our town pool. Wow. So we had that. I mean, everyone's every town has had that experience of. I mean, it bought the book basically boils it down to loss of connection, yeah. and that that what heals it is bringing that back into healthy connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that, and that's starting. I think here with mm-hmm. Heartland. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you have anything else that you particularly want parents to know or who you want to contact you to send your students in. What ages can they be? Yeah, yeah. So just information about the school. I mean, we are a high school, so we serve students ninth through 12th grade. However, a lot of our students... And they can be pregnant, yes, right? Yes, okay. that's true. That is true. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, we work kind of off the IEP model where they can be up to the age of 22. What's IEP? An IEP, so like the, it's when kids have like learning disabilities or something okay. going on and they go through testing and then the school gives them an IEP. So like typically you'll have a public school that'll serve as students IEP and they take kids and they retain them at those schools up until the age of 22. Mm-hmm. I did not know yeah. that. Wow. Yep. Is that kind of like the anger management program? I had just heard something about that in one of our schools. Um, It might be a bit different. So say you have like a significant like learning disability and like math or reading or writing um, and you're not just, you're not ready to go to college yet or you're not ready for a, you know, trade program or something like that, you can stay at the high school and they continue to work with you. Um, I used to work at a practice and we had a lot of patients with autism. And Mm -hmm. so like those parents, some of them didn't even know that that was a resource. If your child's on an IEP and they have a diagnosis of autism, the school is actually sometimes required, public schools are required to keep them up till the age of 22. So they go to school past the age of 18? Mm -hmm. And then when are they given a diploma at the end of the... I, I believe so. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So what if you don't have a learning disability? I did. I right. like. I so struggled since, in school yeah. just b- based on family dysfunction at home, mm-hmm. but I didn't have a learning disability. Would I have right. been somebody eligible to come to mm-hmm. Heartland? Yeah. So you don't have to have an IEP to come here. We just use that model as like a way to to say that we don't just cut you off once you turn eighteen. Oh, okay, like we will good. work with you up to the age of twenty two. So say you have a kid who gets sent away. F- to treatment or a wilderness program, or they maybe right. had to drop out of school for a while and they get behind credit wise. And so they're 19 years old, right? We'll, we'll take that student and we'll work with them and make sure they get a high school diploma. Yeah. Um, or like we have a student who's should be a senior, but credit wise, he's a freshman. And so he's going to need to be here for a while, <laughs> right? So we can work with him for, for the next couple of years, even though he's 18. Um, so yes, so we take high school students um, and really our criteria is just that they have some sort of substance use issue um, and they are interested in getting an education and trying to pursue a life of recovery. Um, I yeah. so much. Yeah. Just to see that hope come alive and transformation. Yeah. I mean, this is That's like, yeah. there's just nothing better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we tell people, you know, if you are interested in the school, um, just check out the website. It's heartlandhighschool.org. Um, there's ways to contact us through the website. There's a lot of great information on there. There's ways to volunteer and to donate, to give. Um, you know, there's information about the staff and our board, uh, lots of great resources. And then um, I'll let Jen plug social media because she runs our social media and is doing a fantastic job. Yeah, so I, I do run the social media and I, I try to put um, educational things on there as well as you know, our students and their achievements and all the things that they did. And so I I try to post something every day. And and when people donate, I give them a shout out on there 
for for donating to the school because everything you see in here has been donated. Wow. Like it's, it's, it's really all nice. been donated. And so I give them a shout out on our social media. So I tell people, please like us on Facebook. And then once you like us on Facebook, invite every single one of yeah. your contacts because the more we get the word out there, I want Heartland to be like, when somebody says Heartland, they're like, oh yeah, the recovery high school. Yeah. I don't want them to say, what's Heartland? I want it to be this community. Known, right? I want it to be known what we are. And, and so, supported and surrounded by the absolutely, surrounding community. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So we're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So like us. And As Heartland High School. Heartland and High are you, I thought it was so interesting. Who's providing the lunches? Are you allowed to say that? Yeah, yeah. we can say oh, that. Yeah. So yeah. L, L Brands, I mean, if you're familiar with like Limited, Victoria's mm-hmm. Secret, um, they, we actually met one of them at a um, 5K that I was speaking at and Jen was running the booth. Um, and at this 5K event, someone was there serving pancakes. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so <laughs> we just like connected with them and it was, it was really cool. They shared, you know, their story and why they were at this 5k event, raising awareness for, right. you know, substance use and recovery. And he, um, he was like, Oh my goodness, you're Heartland high school. And so it was pretty cool. Cause you know, they were like, we want to help out. And little yeah. did we know that they were all brands. And so we kind of told them about what our needs were and they have this awesome like philanthropy department and uh, catering department and they do food and prepare everything. And they're like, so if food is one of your needs, cause we were just going to have our students pack their lunch lunches for the year and then like sponsor lunches on Fridays for them. Um, they're like, we will prep and do food for you. Wow, for a, I love yeah, that. That's a, we'll cover all your students that's and your so staff. Big. So for the whole year. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. It's a huge, huge blessing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and probably because everyone knows somebody affected by addiction at this point. So there's right. no reason not to completely support this in every way possible. Yeah, right. So Check them out on social media. Call if you've got somebody that might be a fit for this school. Um, you can reach out to me um, at my meetings or on all my social media, and I will put you in touch or, or show you where to send support or students or whatever. But we really need to get behind this school and build them up and help them launch. And I just can't think of anything I would support more. So, Dr. Um, Stewart, yeah. Dr. <laughs> Dr. Paige Stewart, I had like a brain clip. It's okay. And I go by Dr. Page. Dr. My dad Page. will be Dr. Stewart soon. Oh. So. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So Dr. Page and Jen, anybody that wants to reach out, they can just find mm-hmm. you on the social media. Yep. Yep. Sure can. And support you. And thank you so much yeah. for what you're doing. I cannot wait to see. I'm going to follow the school and watch what you do with the holidays and yeah. see yeah. how it goes by the end of the year. And even in five years, I can't imagine mm-hmm. anything but success in a grace based environment like this, you are definitely making history. I can't think of anything better. So thank you so much. You are both amazing. Thank you for coming on. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode of Coming Up for Air spoke to you. If you're listening in today on a podcast platform that isn't the Allies member site, please take a moment to give us a five-star rating. This helps others find the show more easily. If you have a suggestion for a new topic or guest for the show, please reach out through the Contact Us form on alliesandrecovery.net. Special thanks to our hosts, our guests, our production team, and Mikael Mouboussin for the original music composition.